Welcome to the TPC Podcast. Thanks for listening. The Pentecostal Church is located at 3700 Kelly Highway in Fort Smith, Arkansas. With roots anchored firmly right here in the Arkansas River Valley, it continues to be a beacon of hope in a hopeless world and a hospital for hurting souls. TPC is a place where you can call home and fulfill your calling in the kingdom of God. Join us for this incredible word from the Lord today. Let me talk to you for a few moments from the book of Romans, chapter number 8. I wanted to teach something different here tonight, but I've already been speaking on this subject. Romans chapter 8, the book of Romans has been in my spirit recently, and I began to study it and pray through it. And there is a, there is a caption in this 8th chapter that I want to share with you tonight. And I've had the privilege uh, lately. I was ministering in Conway last night and in Fayetteville Sunday, and so you'll be the, this will be the third time that I have just felt led to continue in this vein of Romans chapter number 8 to share the word of God. And I want to go to verse number 12 because I, I don't want to teach the entire chapter, uh, but I want, to, uh, I want to go to Romans 8 and 12 through 15. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body or the flesh, ye shall live. Notice verse number 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. My subject here for the next few moments is simply this, the life led by the Spirit. The life led by the Spirit. I want to live a life that is led by God's Spirit. I want Him to lead my life. There's a whole lot of influences in our world. Uh, a whole lot of influences in our world. And these influences are quite powerful. And uh, there's, a whole lot of, uh, there's a whole lot of things that people serve and people turn to and people give their allegiance to. There is a fourth largest religion in the world called uh, Buddhism. I wonder if uh, if our media team, I don't know if you can find that uh, that picture of the, one of the pictures that I sent you. It's a Buddhist temple. I don't know if you can, there you go. That is a Buddhist temple in Thailand. It's a very uh, decorative, elaborate, uh, built Buddhist temple in Thailand. As a matter of fact, there are some, there are over 20,000 Buddhist temples in Thailand, and uh, according to some surveys that's been taken, there is one Buddhist temple for every Christian believer in Thailand. I'm not sure that's completely accurate right now, but I have read that that is a very close... uh, What you don't know about Christians is whenever they're in persecuted places, they still love God. And they, they might not be known by the whole country because of persecution, but they are... There's probably a whole lot more than the 20,000 that they know about. But 
There are 20,000 Buddhist temples in Thailand. This happens to be one of them. It is, it is the picture that is uh, inside of this picture of this uh, uh, temple, this Buddhist temple. There are relics. There are things that represent times past. And one of the things that has been in this temple that this temple was designed for, and it is a relic of the tooth of Buddha. Uh, according to some history, Buddha died in 543 B.C., and he was cremated. And at the funeral home where he was cremated, his left canine tooth was retrieved from the cremation process. And that tooth became a relic. One of the disciples was there in that funeral home and was able to retrieve that tooth of Buddha. And that tooth has become a relic around the world. It went from one place to another. It was taken from one temple to another. Temples were built and erected because the canine tooth of Buddha was going to reside in this facility. So millions of dollars, no doubt, has been spent to house a tooth of a god that people worshipped, a man that became a god that people worshipped called Buddha. And there's well over 400 million people that, have, that do worship this God. And they have become extremely connected to this. And there's hundreds of thousands of people that uh, even now I understand through history that there have been some, there have been some uh, in the midst of some, some problems in a country and there were some fighting and some civil unrest and the tooth became broken. So there's pieces of the tooth. And now the pieces of the tooth have been, uh, or parts of the tooth have been taken to different temples, and some in India, and some in Thailand, and some in all parts of the world. Move the tooth around, and everybody comes to see the tooth and worship the tooth of Buddha. It's quite an interesting subject, isn't it? And people think we're crazy because we come to church and worship the Lord. And there's, a, there's hundreds of millions of people that are worshiping the relic of the canine tooth of a man, Buddha, that became their god. And the tragedy of this is uh, Buddha's in the grave, and he cannot hear, and he cannot see, and he cannot touch, and he cannot heal. But we teach about a resurrected Savior who actually did come out of the tomb, who actually did touch and heal and bless and minister. Uh, we know that because we are witnesses of that. We are witnesses of his power and his healing and his salvation and his deliverance. There are so many people that are led by so many things, and this is just one picture of many, and this is just one setting of many of those individuals who are drawn, who are led, who are... As a matter of fact, it may not be the relic tooth of Buddha that uh, is... Uh, creating a lot of emphasis in your life. It could be your own situations that happen. It could be, uh, it could be your problems. It could be your sickness. It could be your, uh, your relationships gone bad. It could be your history 
of hurt. It could be uh, your shame of what you did or didn't do. It could be all kinds of things that could overshadow you in such a way that you cannot become who God wants you to become because you are led by something in the wrong direction. The Bible talks about this in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, the Bible says that uh, we are debtors, but not to the flesh, not to live after the flesh. We're not debtors to this carnality and this humanistic view, but, but we are now changed by the power of God so that we should not live to satisfy the humanity or our human nature or the deeds of the body. But we should learn that when we are forgiven of our sins, we should rely on the Spirit of God to become the leader of our life so that now we know that God can lead us and direct us. As a matter of fact, when this revelation comes in Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 14, the Scripture tells us when we get this revelation of the the power of Christ living us, inside of us, then we understand who we are in the kingdom of God. That we are not mere servants. We are not just uh, the outcast. We are not considered just the Gentile nation, those who serve from a distance. But this writing says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. There is a revelation in this passage of Scripture that whenever you ask God to forgive you of your sins and you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you're baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you are now a child of God. You have a sonship with Him. You have a walk with Him. One scripture identifies this revelation of sonship that says that when you have need of bread, your heavenly Father will not give you a serpent or a stone. He will not give you something that's destructive, but he will give you bread, something that will be satisfying, something that will build strength, something that will give you the ability to continue and to maintain and become greater. That's the will of God in our life, is for him to fulfill the needs that are present in our life. If you've got the picture that God is walking around with a very large hammer, waiting for you to make the next mistake so he can pass you to pieces, you've missed the will of God for your life. The writer says if we could get this revelation that he desires to give to us good gifts, all he is doing is waiting for us to lift our voices through the adoption process of us being covered in the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. We become heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We are filled with his spirit, wherein we are led by his spirit. So then we lift our voice and we say, Abba, Father, or we say, My Father, I know you, I believe you, I trust you, I walk with you. And when we're led by the Spirit, then we find that he takes us where we need to go. The longest book in the, in the Bible is Psalm 119. When you read in Psalm 119, that chapter, 
in, one, in Psalm 119 says this in the chapter that the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. It illustrates that God's word will then wrap itself around your traveling direction so that what is before you will be seen in close enough proximity so that you won't fall into something you can't get out of or you won't stumble over something that's not necessary. God don't always show us down the road, but he shows us in our walk. Because whenever you are led by the word of God, when you're led by the spirit of God, you are the sons of God. Doesn't that make you feel a little bit better about tomorrow? Is that when I put my hand in his hand, he will lead and direct my path. Let me give you some further instruction on this. If they can put the picture up of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, this is a tabernacle of the wilderness, and if, you, if you've seen this picture before, it's in our prayer room. I just took a picture of it and sent it to Brother Gary, and he put that up there for me. Uh, if you have time sometimes, go in the prayer room. It's over to my right and, and your right as you're exiting. In the prayer room, you'll see on the wall is a very large portion. This is what we, when we go in there and we have time to pray, we pray through the tabernacle. But I wanted to show you what this was at a glimpse. This is a time when God... Was, uh, was taking uh, his people in, through the wilderness process. And as he was taking them through the wilderness process, in Exodus chapter 25 through chapter 30, it's one of my, I love studying the tabernacle in the wilderness because it has such a type and a shadow of the Old Testament with the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, at a glimpse of the tabernacle in the wilderness, you will see there is a brazen altar, there's a brazen laver, and then there's the holy of holies and the holiest of holies. If you see in these three things, the brazen altar, the brazen laver, and the holiest of holies where the Ark of the Covenant is, where God resides, you will see three things that move sin forward. When they brought their sacrifices and they offered them on that altar, and then the priest came in and washed the blood from their hands on the brazen laver, and they went in and took a thimble of that blood into the mercy seat, into the holiest of holies, that represents fast-forwarding into the New Testament, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. See, this didn't just start just a few hundred years ago or a few thousand years ago. This started in the wilderness where God said to man, I want to be with you. I don't want you to be by yourself. I want to be among you so that you can worship me and I can forgive you. You know, that really is the operation of life, isn't it? We worship him and he forgives us. We worship him and he forgives us. We worship him and he forgives us. So we don't have to walk in shame and condemnation and guilt. This tabernacle in the wilderness is a beautiful example of, of how important it is for us to find that God has always been wanting to get close to man ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden. God's trying to pull us back together again. And now we are. Because now he doesn't just dwell among us in a box or inside a fenced area. He doesn't just walk with some disciples on the streets of Jerusalem. But now Christ dwells in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he now is in us. He was with them. Now he's in us. What a beautiful way for us to recognize that if God was with them and God walked with them 
in the form of Jesus Christ, and now God dwells in us by the Spirit of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, it helps us understand God wants to be with his people. As a matter of fact, if you take this a step further, if you see there's four sides to the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, there's four sides. There's 12 tribes of Israel when they were walking in the wilderness. And in the 12 tribes of Israel, there were four tribes on all four sides of this tabernacle in the wilderness. And these, these, all of the families, all of the tribes on each side, every time when they, whenever they were setting up their tents, they would open their tents toward the tabernacle in the wilderness. So that wherever they were, whenever they opened their tents in the morning, guess what they seen? The tabernacle in the wilderness, God. In the streets during the day when they were working or talking, what did they see? Everything they seen was the tabernacle in the wilderness in the midst of everybody. In, in the nighttime, whenever they were going to bed, and the last thing they seen when they pulled their tent flap down, what was it? The tabernacle in the wilderness, God. Every time they got up, every time they did business, every time through the day, in public conversation, God was in the middle of it. In private conversations, God was the last thing they seen. When they closed their tent flaps at night, the last thing they saw was the tabernacle in the wilderness. Why? God designed it that way so that he could be in the midst of his people. I need to help you understand something. God still wants to be in the middle of your life. He wants to be in the middle of my life. Whatever you got to buy, whatever you got to do, whatever's happening this week or next week on your job, contracts, clients, whatever situations and conditions you're going through, families, relationships, sickness, disease, heartache, whatever you're, whatever's happening in your life, guess what? God is trying to say, I've always wanted to be in the middle. If I need to help you further with that, Jesus was not... He was not hung on the left side or on the right side. He was hung in the middle cross. He is in the midst of everything we do in our life. So I can do some things. I don't think it's hard for us to just follow after God and say, Lord, I want you in the middle of my life. I'm not paranoid about whether or not I'm going to miss it because I'm sold out to him. I'm committed to him. I've asked him to cleanse me and forgive me and wash me. He has filled me and then he renews me over and over. I have that continual relationship because he is like a well of living water springing up inside of me. That's who he is. That's who he is. Now, if, if you take, let's just go to another step with this tabernacle in the wilderness. If you look at this tabernacle in the wilderness, you will see that there's, there's uh, ropes that's connected to post, and there's all kind of middle partitions all the way down through here, all four sides. Then you can see there's, there's tables, and you can see that there's the brazen altar, and there's the brazen laver, and you can see that there's all kind of skins that are, are the top of the ceiling of this, and inside of that is the furniture of the holy place and the holiest of holies. This is what the Lord said, as long as the cloud stays there, stay there with it. But when the cloud moves, when the cloud moves, when God's present moves, don't say, you going or you staying? I kind of like it here. Got me a little garden planted out here in the middle of the desert. You know, I kind of like it here. I've got, a, I've got accustomed to this. No, no. 
as soon as the cloud started moving, it was some work, but they started taking the ropes and they started taking them loose from the post and they started rolling them up. And everything had their place and everything had their location. Everything had their packing assignment. Everybody was involved and everybody knew what they were doing and the priests were involved. And the last thing was they were taking the Ark of the Covenant out with, by, on the priest's shoulders and they were walking. And they, what were they doing? They were looking for the cloud and they followed the cloud. And while the cloud was moving, all of Israel was moving with the cloud. And some kids were crying. And some teenagers were aggravated. And some spouses were having, you know, here we go again. What in the world are we doing now? Not once, not twice, but there's six times that the cloud moved in the times that they were going. And they said, okay, we've got to get everything together. And all of a sudden, the cloud stopped. And when the cloud stopped, I'm just guessing that they stood there a minute and said, before we do all this work, are you sure, God? Has that been something you said before in your life? Are you sure, God? Did, did the cloud stop? Or are you just hesitating for a moment? But when the cloud stopped, they stopped. Get the, all the things back out. Let's drive the post back in the ground. Let's take the rope and tie them off. Let's put all the siding back up around. Let's, let's get the, the altars back out. Let's get the furniture in the holy place. Let's get the Ark of the Covenant where it's supposed to be. Let's get the skins back over the top. Let's stretch them the way they're supposed to be. Let's put everything the way it's supposed to be. There's a big curtain goes inside of there. Let's get everything the way it's supposed to be and let's stay here. And they just waited and they just watched. And they knew... As long as it stands still, just drive your stake in and open your tent flap toward the, ark, the tabernacle in the wilderness. God, and every day and every night, every morning, whatever you're doing, just keep your eyes on God. Why? Because i got to be led by him. I don't want to be left out here in this barren place. He's the one that provides manna from heaven for me. He's the one that can take nothing and turn it into something. He's the one that can take hard things and squeeze water out of it. God takes care of us when we follow him. Somewhere in this, Paul reached back and he said, I got to tell you something about a covenant with God. I got to tell you something about the blood covenant. And that is whenever you are committed to him and whenever you're washed and filled with his spirit, when you're led by the spirit of God, you become the sons of God. And if you will just be led by my spirit, you can call me father. And every good gift that you need, the father will give it to you. Every good gift that you need. As a matter of fact, there's something else I learned about this. There's something else I learned about this. Exodus chapter number 14 says this. That the angel of God went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. The pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. Why? Because the Egyptians were coming behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud. Notice this. Same cloud. It was the cloud and darkness to them, the Egyptians. But it gave light by night to these. So that the one came not near the other all the night. Now those who are led by the Spirit are living on the light side of the cloud. And those who are 
not choosing to walk in the Spirit. Those who are worshiping the relic tooth of Buddha are living in darkness. But those who are walking in the light who are saying, I need you to lead me where I go and what I do. The Bible says when they needed to move, when they needed to see, when they needed to work, when they needed to do things, it was a light unto them. But to those who did not, I need to encourage somebody in this place today, turn your life over to God and let him lead you. You've done it because you've done it yourself for so long. That may be why we're in such a mess sometimes. And I think everybody in this building could just reach back and say, you know what, if I had a few things to do over, I did it my way. Somebody wrote a song about that one time, didn't they? Doing it your way will get you in a mess. Doing it my way will get me in a mess. But if I want to get on the correct side of the cloud, I've got to start saying, Lord, I want, to, I want to follow you. I want to be led by your word. I want to be led by your spirit. I want to be led by what you want me to do. You know what? I used to get aggravated stopping at the traffic light saying, do you know something red light? You've taken a lot of time out of my life these last many years, and I don't appreciate that. Got my foot on the gas, just waiting to take off. Now I've decided, you know what? Just hang on a minute. When it turns green, now I'm looking to the right, looking to the left. You don't know what's going to come. I'm just, I'm just giving another minute here. Yeah, that's me you're honking at at the red light. I'm just hanging on a minute saying, I want to see what's happening here. Because God may be trying to, there's things that we curse in our life and God says, I put you at that traffic light turn red for a reason. Because there's something happening down the street, you're just going to miss it by five seconds. You're going to miss it by three seconds. You're going to miss it by one minute. And if you'll just let him lead your life, you'll be on the correct side of the cloud. This really is the conclusion. Without being led by the Spirit of God, you are led by what you know and by what you see. Think about that for a minute. Without being spirit-led, you are led by what you know and by what you see. Now, we're smart people in this room. We've got a lot of educated folks in this room. As a matter of fact, you're all educated. You're all very brilliant. You've been through a lot of things. You, we're all smart in this room. But you know, we can't see through that wall. We, we don't know what's going out there in that lobby. We, we're limited. As smart as you are, you don't, you don't know what's going on down the street. You can't see that. You're limited. You, you can navigate where you are. You can get out of your seat and go out, go out in the street, look down the street. You can see as far as you can see. You can know as much as you can read and retain. But we're all limited. We get tapped out at some point in what we can know and what we can see. If you're, if you're not walking and being spirit-led, you're limited to know what you know and see what you see. But whenever you're being led by the Spirit, now your life is being led by what God knows and by what God sees. Because he's not limited to time. He's not limited to uh, geographical locations. He's not limited to walls and structures. God can see through walls. God is omniscient, all-powerful. God is, he is uh, all-knowing. 
He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He can be all, the, all places at all the time. He's here. At the same time, he's somewhere else in another country, another state, another place. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. He, he, he is an amazing God. And whenever you tap into the sonship that you now are a heir, a joint heir, you're a son, a daughter, a child of God, and you're following him, guess what? He is the one who will direct and guide your steps. As many as are led by the Spirit become the sons of God. Paul is trying to talk to the church and tell us something. You can do it on your own and you can just deal with the results. Or you can connect with God who knows everything and through that process you can see him begin to develop things in your life that you could never even imagine. So if you're like some of, the, some of us at some point, we said, yeah, I tried that. I've been turning it over to the Lord, and I look at the mess I'm in now. And so I've had to talk to myself. You know the conclusion I've come to? If it hadn't been God helping you, you've got to imagine the mess you'd really be in. <laughs> you've got to imagine what you'd be like if, it, if God wasn't involved in this situation. How are you going to make it through this? How, how are you going to survive this? How are you going to overcome this? You're going to overcome this through putting your hand in the hand of God and allowing him to lead and direct and guide your life. Whenever you continue to read the word of the Lord, you go to uh, Romans chapter number 8. The first verse says this, of verse number 1 of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Do you know why there's so much oppression and depression in the world? It's because individuals are walking in condemnation. Their actions and their sins and their lifestyle is condemning them within themselves. And they're not forgiving themselves, so therefore they can't forgive others. And when you can't forgive yourself, you continually become, you create more problems with other people because you're just aggravated at yourself. But the, the writer says in the first verse, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You're not walking after the flesh. You're walking after the spirit. You're not being led by your carnal desires to maintain hatred and malice and and jealousy and envy and unforgiveness. Well, maybe I'll teach on those for a little while. You ever hit a stump when you're teaching or talking about something? You feel like you may have just dropped right down into something? How long has individuals just been so angry about what happened to them as a child or what happened to them in their, in their marriage or what happened to them in a job that went bad or a financial deal that went wrong? How, how long has people just stewed and stayed and been hurt by somebody and, been, been, and God is saying you're living in a condemnation that if you'll forgive yourself, if you'll allow me to forgive you and you'll forgive yourself, then you won't become the victim for the rest of your life. God will take away the victim mentality and you'll say, you know what, I, did, I didn't deserve that. I know it happened to me and I didn't deserve that. But I'm moving past that. I'm going to be over, I want to be an overcomer from that. There's no condemnation in my life. Shame will destroy your ability to walk in the Spirit. 
Walking in condemnation will lead to jealousy because, because you'll refrain from allowing God to work in your life. And before the thing is over, you'll be jealous about, I don't know why they're getting all the blessings. I don't know why it seems to be so easy for them. I wish we could sit together in church like that. I wish we had, I wish I had a family like that. I wish I had a, you'll start getting envious of things around you and jealousy will set in. And it all started from the fact that you can't forgive yourself and you can't allow God to forgive you. You're just hanging on to the condemnation that's just overwhelmed your soul. Let me tell you, there's something beautiful about going to that brazen altar and saying, Lord, I need the blood of the shed lamb to cover my life. I need the blood of the spotless lamb to cover my life. I need the blood of Jesus Christ to wash me because I need to come out of this condemnation that I'm in. You don't have to live in that shame, that hurt, that condemnation. And there's people that want to come to God and they want to do something for the Lord and they want to overcome some things, but then they fall back into that self-pity of shame. And you know what? The only way to come out of that is just go to the Lord and say, God, I need you to cleanse me. I'm just, I don't care what anybody over there thinks about me. It's me and you right now. And I need to bring to this altar my sins and my shame and my condemnation. And I want to be baptized. I want to go that laver of water. That's our baptistry. I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No greater name than the name of Jesus. When you're sick, you call on the name of Jesus. When you pray for your food, you call on the name of Jesus. When you baptize, we call on the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of all your sins. Went to the labor. Guess what happens then? You move into the holiest of holies. Guess what's there? Aaron's rod that budded, the miraculous, the power that's about to move. The word of God is in the Ark of the Covenant. The commandments is there. Something is about to happen in your life that you're gonna grasp the power and the spiritual dominion of heaven and the word of God is going to back all of it up and when you come through your condemnation is going to be am I preaching? I, I thought I was going to teach tonight hey let me teach every now and then okay this is why I'm probably not the best teacher in the house I, I just want to preach all the time God wants the enemy wants to hide you in your condemnation the enemy wants to, wants to tuck you away and say, hey, just, you know, just become a recluse. Just the best thing for you to do is stay home and just the best thing for you to do is back out of this thing. The best thing for you to do is just let everybody do what they want to do. I, I, that's, that's not me. That's not my cup of tea. That's, that's just not. The enemy, you know what God's got for you? God has got some amazing things for you and I whenever we surrender ourselves completely to him and allow him to forgive us of our condemnation and to deliver us from our carnal minds because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So when you're in the flesh, you can't please God. That's pretty straight preaching. You know why your son happy? You're fighting in the flesh. You can't fight the devil in the flesh. Well, I can pour some hot coffee on his head. I know that. 
You can't, you can't win that battle in the flesh. You got any teenagers? You ever had any teenagers? I got a house full of girls. Thank the Lord. The Lord sent me by a son-in-law. Even our cute little dog is a female. I'm outnumbered in the house. We had a female poodle, and the female poodle went on to heaven. And, uh, and then the Lord blessed us with something, another dog. And then guess what? She's a female. Got any teenagers in your house? Got any little kids in your house running around? I sure be glad when you can learn to tie your shoes, son. Will you ever stuck? Will you ever get full? All you want to do is eat. I can't afford you right now in my life. When they hit about fourteen, you can't afford kids when they're fourteen. They eat all the time. They just eat all the time. And you want them to grow up, and when they grow up, they say, "Oh God, I wish I'd have just paid for the pizza." Now I'm dealing with all this. They're rebellious. They hit 15, 16, 18. Now what, what in the world? Who is this person? They're just fighting these, these, all these tendencies and they're, they're just fighting all these things and they're growing and all kind of explosions are going off in their life and, they're, and all kind of things are happening, coming at all at the same time and they don't know what to do and you're saying this and somebody else is saying that and, somebody, and they're just walking in circles thinking, what in the world is happening to me? They're fighting through some of their carnality, some of their fleshly desires and Paul said, you know what? You've got to fight through that. Carnal man is enmity between God. You, you can't, there's no way that it can benefit you. You've got to get through this. You've got to fight through this. So why is it important to have your children in church and your teenagers in church? Well, they didn't want to come today. Well, bring them anyway. I didn't have an option to come to church. When it was church time, I went to church. Nobody ever said to me, Tim, are you going to church tonight? I did hear him say, if you're not there by 6 o'clock or for a 7 o'clock service and I have to come back and find you, yes, sir. Going to the house of God, hallelujah. I'm not scarred by that, just so you know. That wasn't abuse. That was training. And there's a big biblical difference. You can train up a child in the way they should go when they're old, they will not depart from it. You don't have to abuse a kid and beat them up. I don't believe in all that. But there, is a, there, there are people that are going through a fight in the flesh and for the flesh, and we're wrestling with things. You, you can't win this battle in the flesh. You've got to get in the spirit. How do I do that? You've got to turn to God, and you've got to begin to talk to him. And you've got to say, listen, I, I, don't want to, I no longer want to deal with this sin issue. This carnality issue. I want God to move on my behalf so that I can be spirit-led in the processes of whatever's happening in my life. And you know what happens when a child, they get a little older and they learn some things and then when a teenager gets a little older and they realize, hey, this is the right, all of a sudden God, they just, they're, one day the, somebody turns the light on them. Oh, you're the greatest dad in the whole world. And they don't even need $10. They just actually believe that. 
It's like they woke up one day and said, you're a wonderful person. What? Can we say that one more time? We want to get the cell phone. Let's record that one more time. Dad, I love you. You're an amazing person. What? Huh? What? I know. I've got an 18-year-old right now. You know, you're Generation Z. Okay, you've been studying Generation Z, 9 years old to 24 years old. They were raised, you know, with this. This is what they're raised with. You took them to the, you know, when they were little, you took them to the Walmart, and you put them in the little buggy, and they just sit in there, and you just turn on whatever you turned on, let them watch it. I'm trying to buy food here. So we raised them just like this. They know more about this phone than we do. You can pick out a 10-year-old right now. They're, they're in another building worshiping. You can go pick out a 10-year-old. They can run this phone better than me or you can at 10. Why? Because they've been raised that ever since they could sit in a buggy. And we've entertained them with all of these things, Generation Z. So they don't see. When you've raised with this, fell over here. They don't see the trash on the floor. You can't see the trash on the floor if you're looking at this all the time. You, you can't see past that because you just, yeah. You run over people. Oh, sorry. We're, we're just trying to get people to be nice and smile to people. Nine to 24 don't even know how to say hi. Is there any 24-year-olds in here tonight? I better be careful. I can say this because i got an 18-year-old. And she's an amazing young lady. I, I mean, I think she is. She's a pretty awesome gal. I love my girl. But she's Generation Z. Yeah, we need that. Really? Well, I didn't see that. Really? <laughs> I know you didn't see it because you got your head in your phone. And I've told her over and over, put the phone down. We're going on a little family trip. Go, go, let's go driving through the mountains. I look in the back seat, and my two girls sit in the back seat. Look at those trees. Isn't that beautiful? Sure is. Put the phone down. You've never seen anything where we're actually taking a family drive today. Yeah, all, is it almost over? It's a, whole, it's a whole generation that we're dealing with. But you know what? In the same context, because we're all from baby boomers or somewhere, we all got a generation that we had to deal with something. So there's all these things that you got to deal with. But you know what? There is one constant thread that goes through all this we are dealing with the flesh and the bible says if you follow your flesh it will not lead to the reward it will lead to consequence so somewhere in this path paul is saying to those who have been filled with the spirit you've got to redirect this thing you've got to get this car back on the right path and you've got to say i am not going to walk in the flesh i'm going to walk in the spirit you have got to decide. I don't want to live after the flesh. I don't want to walk after the carnal mind. I want to some way turn to him and say, Lord, I'm making a full commitment to you. And I want you to direct my path. I want you to order my steps. Wherever you want me to go, that's where I want to go. The house you want me to buy, that's the house I want to buy. The car you want me to drive, that's the car I want to drive. Whatever you want from me, that's what I want. The life 
that is spirit-led. And when the economy takes a dip, oh, looking at your 401k saying, oh, this ain't good, preacher, this ain't good. This is a bad deal. We, we're headed for some terrible times. We're, whenever you're spirit-led, you have to say, God is in control of everything in my life. I don't know why it's happening. I don't know how it's going to end up. But however it's going to be is exactly what he wanted because my life is in his hand. The, the dryer broke. The car's transmission's messed up. I don't understand it. I probably pulled too many heavy trailers with it. Partially my fault, God. I'm really sorry about that. Help me to figure out what to do. I want to be led by your spirit. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I want to do. Something's got to happen in the day in which we live because we don't know what tomorrow holds. We can only know that I want to rest myself in his wisdom, in his knowledge, and in his direction. He has to direct my life. Are you getting this picture I've been trying to paint here tonight? If you're going through a wilderness, you better have God in your life. And when he moves, pull up your stakes and move with him. And when he stops, don't be so attached that you want to keep going. Stop where he stops and let him do it. Move. Be led of the Spirit. We need a church that is led of the Spirit. In church services, let the Holy Ghost use you. Now don't be abrupt and, you know, you got to go... Plant your head on somebody's, your hand on somebody's head and just intentionally just mess up all their hair. We worked on all this pretty hair real hard. God will take care of the carnality part of that, but be led of the Spirit to place your hand on that brother's shoulder, that sister's shoulder, and pray with them when the Holy Ghost is leading you to do so. When you're at home and the Holy Ghost speaks to you, stop what you're doing and go into that time of prayer and seeking God. And if he speaks to you to call on that person's name, call, is this too far out for some of y'all? God is using you to minister to other people and you don't even know it. God's going to speak a name to you that you're not even going to know who they are, but God's going to tell you. And three months later, you're going to meet Pete and you're going to say, Pete... Pete, I, don't, I hadn't known you before, but three months ago I was in prayer. I didn't even know a Pete. You're the first one I met. But I called your name in prayer. God will use you with stuff like that. And at the same time that I'm praying for Pete, I don't know. Somebody is praying for Tim that they don't know. That's my name. And I needed it just like Pete needed it. You see this cycle of how God works and says, I know and I'm, I'm using somebody to pray over you and I'm using you to pray over somebody because it's all coming around. And there's things that do not happen in your life because you are spirit-led. I mean bad things. You talk about the diseases we got, you got to imagine the diseases you don't have because you were in church tonight and something moved into a midweek Bible study. And while we were praying or while the word of God was going forward, a disease was rebuked out of your body. That's why whenever the preacher's preaching or the singer's singing, I don't want to be just standing there. Yeah, well, that roast tastes pretty good here in about an hour. If the brother will ever hush. Get your mind off of all the carnal things. Get your mind on God. 
Get your mind. I'm going to be preaching a message here at some point whenever the Lord lets me preach it. I, now, I need, to, I need to say this because I'm, I'm going to be taking a, a, some time off here in the future. And when I come back, I don't want you to say, oh, my. Boy, we got a long way to go now. Pastor, the Lord's been giving him all these sermons, and he's, it's going to be some long stuff. He's been giving me all this stuff to preach, and I, I hadn't preached it yet. But I'm going to be preaching about worship here in the near future whenever the Lord lets me preach it. I, I've got some stuff written down, but the Holy Ghost is in his right time. I want to tell there's something powerful about you participating in worship. There's something amazing happens whenever you say, I come here today because I want to be used of you, God. I want you to touch me, but I don't want you to stop with just touching me. I want you to flow through me. I want somebody else that I'm sitting beside. Could you own the road that you're on? Could you just own it? Could you just own the section that you're in? And could you just start praying over the section that you're in? That every time you come to church, God does some miracles in my section. That God does some miracles on my row. Could you just begin to worship him in a service when the Lord is moving and the singers are singing? You're not waiting for the service to just check the box and let's get out of here. But you're praying, God, I want something to happen in this house that starts on my road, that starts in my seat, that comes through my whole section. If everybody's doing this in this building, can you imagine what's about to happen when the whole church is being led by the Spirit? All of that context is in the scripture that those disciples were led of the Spirit, that this New Testament church and the grace dispensation is to be led by the Spirit because God is saying, I want you to get a revelation of my covenant with you, that you are my sons, you are my children, and I want to bless you, I want to heal you, I want to work in you and through you. I hope that makes sense. It makes sense to me. I try to keep it simple for me and maybe you can find somewhere else in there to jump on. They that are the sons, of, that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. I don't want a life where I got it figured out. I don't want to blame stuff on God that I did, but there's times when I say, this ain't my deal, this is yours. One of them's this building you're sitting in. I walk through here frequently saying, Lord, it's not mine, it's yours. I, I love worshiping in it. I love to be here. This is amazing. I praise God for it. But this is not mine. This is yours. You know, you take care of it. My children, my wife, it's all, it's God's in his way and in his time. He does what he does. It's his. Let me tell you, if we would quit owning the stuff that God wants to take, we would have a life of peace. We got to give some things to God. I just don't have any joy. I don't have any peace. It's because you're trying to do stuff that God wants to take and do it. Allow him to lead your life. Okay, why don't you stand together? I'm going to skip down here to the last two verses. I'm sorry, the last three verses. There's 39 verses in Romans chapter 8. And the, last, the last three, 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Whatever's coming against you, whatever battles, whatever fights, whatever approaches, we are more than conquerors over any of those things through him that loved us. Paul said in verse 38 of Romans 8, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate you when you are being led of God. There's nothing that comes from the left, the right, from the height, from the depth. Nothing can separate you from the love of God because you are being led by the Spirit. You have to keep checking your flesh and your carnality and your human spirit. And you've got to say, Lord, I want you to... But I want to tell you... And sometimes we worry about what men think and people think and stuff. You, you just got to say, now, what do you think? What are you saying? Because as long as my life is pleasing to you, you're going to pave the way and the rest of my steps. I am led by God, therefore God leads my life, he leads my family, he leads my home, he leads my job, he leads my finances. My life is led by the Spirit. That's a really good place to be in. It's a really good place to be in when you're not in charge and God is in charge. I wonder right now if you just lift your hands and let's just pray and ask the Lord, God, lead my life. Would you do that? Let's start it tonight. Lift your voice. Lord, lead. Lead my life, God. I need you to lead me. I need you to speak to me. I need you to help me. I need you to, in every way, I want to be what you want me to be. I want to be led of your spirit, directed by your hand, open to be receptive to what you have. God, lead me. I want to live my life. I want my children and my grandchildren. I want my spouse. I want my family to know that we are led by the Spirit of God and our life is His. Our life is His. Our hope is His. Everything we have and we know is His. I trust you today, God. I worship you today, God. I thank you for what you're doing. You have done what you are doing. I claim it in Jesus' name. I claim it in Jesus' name. And somebody said, Amen. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. I hope this word has blessed you. If you are in the River Valley area and are looking for a church to attend, we would love for you to join us right here at TPC. Services are Sunday at 11 a.m. and Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. You can visit us at our website at www.tpcfortsmith.com and on Facebook at the Pentecostal Church Fort Smith. Here you will find any information you may need. Thank you and God bless.